I added one more podcast to the giant podcast bin. Now you have plucked that podcast out and started listening. I took my microphone and found some human folk. Then I recorded all the noises while we spoke. My name is Adam Buxton. I'm a man. I want you to enjoy this. That's the plan. Come on, Rosie. Come on. If you're going to do a shit, then do a shit. But don't hang around. Time's a-wasting. I don't care what you're saying. I understand. But we, we do have to get this done. Come on, sweet girl. Come on. No, thank you. I would not like to go with you today. I'm going to stay at home. Come on, Rosie. What are you going to do at home? People get angry if you're not on the podcast. I'm sorry, but I can't help you. I do not wish to go. It's too windy today. I'll see you later, then. Ta-ta. Last chance. Come on. Okay. Yay! Good one. Rosie has scampered off there. Used to be the mere mention of a walk would be enough to get her boinging around. Now, sometimes, well, as you just heard, there has to be a process of negotiation and coaxing. And she'll stand quite still for a while and seem absolutely determined not to go with you. And then you kind of say, go on, please, or give her a nudge, maybe, you know, just sort of gently tug her towards the direction of the walk. And then she goes, yeah, that's great. And off we go. Anyway, how are you doing, podcats? It's Adam Buxton here, in case you didn't realise. And I'm glad that you joined me for another podcast, just a few days after the last one dropped. As I said in the previous episode with Alex Horn, I thought that these two episodes would make a good pair. So I wanted to put them out one after the other fairly quickly. And here are my intro notes for today's guest returning to the podcast, Tim Key. You've seen Tim as sidekick Simon alongside Steve Coogan in various Alan Partridge adventures. Is that his most high-profile credit? Maybe. He's been in some films. He's done a lot. you got sidekick Simon. you got... Uh, a starring role in the recent comedy series The Witchfinder, alongside Daisy Mae Cooper. And of course you'll have seen Tim pop up in all sorts of things from Inside Number 9, Plebs and Peep Show, to a choice selection of the UK's finest panel shows, 8 out of 10 Cats Does Countdown, mm, House of Games, mm, and of course, Taskmaster, oh, yum, 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 with his old friend, the aforementioned Alex Horn. Left to his own devices, Tim continues to cultivate his matey but volatile poet character, which he performs live, and which forms the basis of another show that brightened my lockdown, Tim Key's Late Night Poetry Programme on BBC Radio 4. He started doing that a while back. There's been several series, but I blazed through them all in mid-2020 
The shows, which also feature regular key collaborators, Tom Basden and Katie Wicks, are sort of slightly surreal sitcoms. Revolving around the frequently irascible poet, I've put a link to one of my favourite episodes of Tim Key's late-night poetry programme in the description, along with other key links. Oh, look at this, Rosie. We don't come here very often, do we? This is a hill. And we are now looking out over the valley near where we live. It's a beautiful day. You know what I might do? I might just sit down on a grass tuft and complete my intro. Here's some spring sounds for you. Mixed in with quite a bit of traffic. (laughs) Oh, it's nice though. Okay. My conversation with Tim was recorded face-to-face. Ooh, exciting. On a visit to London in mid-January of this year, 2022, Tim came up to my hotel room and I set up my mics in a kind of alcove over by the window which looked out over Google's vast new Death Star building still being constructed behind King's Cross Station. I was feeling a bit bleary because the night before I had met Tim for a drink and accompanied him to a comedy gig that he was doing in the basement of a pub, also in the King's Cross area. It was a great set from Tim and contained some of the lockdown-themed material that appeared in his book. He used Thought as a Wife, published at the end of 2020. A second volume, in a similar vein, was published earlier this year, 2022. It's called Here We Go Round the Mulberry Bush. And elements from both those books can be found in Tim's current one-man show, Mulberry. Now, I saw him performing Mulberry at the beginning of its run at the Soho Theatre back in February. And it was, well, it was definitely the best time I've had in the last two years, going out, that is, and probably one of the funniest live shows I've ever seen. There, I've said it. In fact, I just bought tickets to see the show again at the Regent's Park Open Air Theatre on June the 19th. Link in the description. My conversation with Tim included chat about TV quizzes, meeting famous boxing legends on holiday, and, of course, lockdown. We also talked about a health scare that Tim went through a few years back, and we shared a few more memories from the trip to New York that we took with Alex Horn at the beginning of 2020. But we began by exchanging notes on being the oldest people at the comedy gig the night before. I'll be back at the end for a bit more waffle and a recommendation. But right now, with Tim Key, here we go. I think I was the oldest person in there. 
So at the gig? Yeah, uh-huh. in the whole room. And maybe in the, uh, in the whole pub. Well, I've got to say, because I could see you at the back because you were a bit lit, and you did look oh, really old. Yeah. I think, horrible thing to say about anyone, but a bigger mask might have been good. <laughs> a bag? like a, You don't want to invite someone to a gig and put them in a body bag and prop them up, but... What, did you consider finding the second oldest person and being a bit closer to them just to... I mean, cook I would, the books a bit. There was. I, I think suppose I was on stage. <laughs> well, that's the thing, isn't it? You were the next youngest person, and then you were about ten years older than everyone else. So I was like two decades older than everyone. <laughs> now, hang on, I'm going to adjust the volume on here a little bit. Yeah, good idea. Uh, okay. Do you want me to move this table a bit? Yeah, touch would be good. Yeah, that's good. Then I can still lean back against this piece of furniture. Yeah. yeah. This is a nice hotel room. It's not too bad, is it? This is right at the top, so it's the window is small. Sure. But it was a last-minute booking at quite a nice hotel yeah. in the King's Cross area. Yeah. What do you think, price-wise? Um, I think you're looking at... It's not bottom of the barrel, certainly. I think you're paying... Per a, night. Yeah. Yeah. You're not an idiot. I think you're paying 140 a night. Close. Yeah? A little bit less. Is it? Yeah. 130. Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. bad. It's pretty good. I mean, you've got a telly. got the... Um... I never watched the telly. No? No, just oh. on the laptop. Oh. I literally never turn on a TV in a hotel room. Oh, other way around me. Really? And what do you watch? Just any old shit that's on? <laughs> yeah, Yes. Have you ever watched... I don't care what's on. I, you know, I'll just... Whatever they give me. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan of, um, you know, terrestrial television. Auntie, basically. Okay. You know, she still serves up some good stuff. Dramas and things like that you'll uh, watch? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter about the genre. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a, I don't have a favourite genre. I've got a favourite channel. <laughs> BBC Two. <laughs> they've got good quizzes. Yeah. Yeah, then they've got... The dramas are absolutely fine. Victoria- they can be quite boring, the dramas. Yes, that's the thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, they can be. How about when you say quizzes, yeah. would you stray from BBC One on a Saturday and watch something like Moneyball? Well, Moneyball, I haven't seen Moneyball. Hang on, have I seen Moneyball? Which one is that? Moneyball. Yeah. Oh, you're looking it up. Yeah, it's like a kind of roulette. It hinges around the excitement of watching a large steel ball on rails roll beneath different sections of an LED board above that have different outcomes, Mm -hmm. if you can imagine that. Well, I can't, but there'll be a lot of people listening who can. In this game of skill, contestants must press a button to lock the launcher, setting the height the ball will be dropped from. The higher the ball drops, the longer it'll keep rolling underneath the LED board. Tensions run high as the ball rolls back and forth until it comes to rest on an amount of cash, or the dreaded danger sign. Eek. So you're literally talking about a whole quiz that I think lasts for an hour or something, which is just a steel ball rolling left and right on a rail and then coming to rest underneath. you've come to London to talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And that's one of the... I I did watch that in a hotel in London, having said I don't watch TV in hotel rooms. There's something about quizzes. I do watch The Chase. It's part of a subgenre. There's a subgenre of quizzes out there where 
you're up against a square. Uh And those guys are rotating squares on the top of a pyramid. And on BBC Two, you've just got a flat four squares with eggheads. (laughs) And then I'm sure there's other ones where you fight squares. They're, They're having a bit of resurgence. It's a good time to be a square. <laughs> it used to be not very cool. It's okay to call people squares, isn't it? <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm riffling through all the possible oh, riffles, associations. Riffle through as much as you like. I don't think, I think they wear their squaredom sort of fairly on their sleeves, don't they? Yeah. They're squares. I mean, well, not square. They would maybe say they're, what would they say? Brain boxes. Quizzers is what they are. Yes. Quizzers, eggheads. Brainiacs. Oh, yeah, Brainiacs is good, yeah. I was trying to think of what other game shows you could spin out of everyday games. Oh, great. Like, okay. for an hour. Okay, great. What, so an everyday game that you have and you turn it into a glitzy Saturday yeah. night game show? Exactly. Oh, right, okay. So whether you could put Guess Who onto Saturday night. Which you totally could. That's yeah. a brilliant idea. Yeah. I've got Coin Toss. Oh, Life-changing yeah. sums of money rest on the landing of a coin in this smart, fun, and thrillingly unpredictable game of wits, dexterity, and mainly chance. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a good game. Talk me through the coin. I mean, is the coin like an iconic coin, which is also the it's in the credits, and also it's wheeled out, and there's a coin, or is it more your everyday Joe comes on and brings a coin, and maybe brings a coin that's special to, to them? Man, that is all good stuff. Yeah, well, no, it always will be from me. Are you around? I mean, can you work on this? Well, I'm t- my stuff at the moment is more um, looking at my live stuff a bit and mm-hmm. then trying to write maybe a vehicle for myself. But... This wouldn't take that long. This I mean, seems like th- that stuff sort of fits in around things, doesn't okay. it? Um, I could definitely have a consultation with you about Cointos. I think that's very good. All the things you just said. I think it would be a giant coin. Yeah. And uh, it would have the... Face of the host. Uh, who's the host, by the way? Alan Sugar. It's got to be someone financial. Lord Sugar. Lord Sugar. Someone financial. He is one of the main financial people. I don't like all of his jokes. <laughs> and I think if I was ever asked to do the Celebrity Apprentice, mm. I think I'd find that a very um, frustrating process. Because I think the way they would edit that show is if he did one of his jokes... And you said something like, oh, well done, that's funny. I think they're getting rid of that and then cutting to a different celebrity who's just laughing like a drain at Sugar's gear. <laughs> and he, even if I made a point of doing it every time he did one of his jokes and I'm slow hand clapping him and going, yeah, well done, Sugar. Have you got, your, <laughs> have you got any live stuff coming up, Sugar? I think they're getting rid of all of that. <laughs> so I think I'd, I think I'd have a miserable time on it, which is annoying because I think I could come up with some good, um, you know, some good stuff. For good our, leadership. I could come up with some good leadership. Yeah, he's notoriously humorless and gets into. I mean, when I used to be on Twitter, I I used to see him getting in rows with people or people getting in rows with him. Like Richard Herring, wound him up and stuff, and he never took it well. He doesn't take it well. I think I think that's the problem with someone like him is. He's almost like a sort of a, a fable in that, you know, you can have, you can have all the money in the world, mm-hmm. but it's not going to make your stuff zing. And he's, all he wants in life is for his stuff to just zing. And he does that show, and 90% of it is him sat in his um, little, you know, funny chair in the boardroom trying to do his little jokes. Mm. 
And it's just... Here's another idea. What's in the box? Watch as contestants are pitted against each other using all their powers of guesswork and imagination as they try to correctly guess what's in the box. Is it an apple? A roller skate? A pillow? Host, Nassim Hamed. Nassim Hamed. Hang on, that's the boxer. Prince Nassim. Yeah, Prince Nassim. I sold him a yo-yo once. You saw him do a yo-yo? I sold him a yo-yo. Oh, you sold him a yo-yo? Yeah. How come? Uh, I was working in Hamleys in um, 2001, and uh, Prince Nassim came in, and uh, another short guy. Yes. Uh, I went on a holiday, family holiday, to Cyprus one time. Sure. And it was off-season. Oh. Very windy and cold. Oh, I did that once. Yeah, did you? Yeah, it's pretty bleak, isn't it? It's bleak. Yeah, I went on a lad's holiday two weeks after the season had finished. Yeah, <laughs> because it's so much cheaper. <laughs> it was really cheap. And yeah. it, it was, again, so windy. <laughs> so what happened in Cyprus? Prince Nassim oh, was, was one of the other guests. Oh, fantastic. The hotel was sparsely populated, and we'd sit down eagerly by the pool trying to make the best of the freezing week. Uh, you know, all sat in our puffer jackets. And over on the other side of the pool is this family. And he was the patriarch in the middle. Daddy. Daddy. And they had a boom box and they were living it up and they were dancing and having a good time. Yo-yos? Uh, there may have been yo-yos. Yeah. There would have been yo-yos. Probably. I mean, they, they it was were... Po- was it post-2001? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It had his yo-yo. This was um, 20... 13 or something like that. He'd have been pretty good by then. Yeah. I didn't immediately recognise him. But then he, check this out, came over to me. Yes! His son had recognised me from Hot Fuzz or something. That's fantastic. So Naz comes over and, and gives me a big grin and he was very sort of statesman-like, talking of Alan Sugar. Oh, yeah. He was a kind of... Tony Soprano-esque, magnanimous and warm and, hey, hello, how you doing? It's beautiful. What yeah. a guy to meet. Yeah, it was pretty good. That's nice. When you when you see someone like that, you dream of the switcheroo. Yeah. Because you're not going over to Naz. No. Imagine. Yeah. Imagine the version of Naz who doesn't know who you are and you stumble across <laughs> with, your, with your little shorts on. And my puffer jacket. <laughs> The last thing you need if you're trying to meet <laughs> Prince Nazim Hamed is the old puffer jacket and shorts combo. Did you ever box? Pardon me? <laughs> Have you done some boxing? No. Well, hang on a minute. Uh, I once had a session with a personal trainer. Yeah. And he he took it in that direction for a bit. With the big yeah. gloves? Oh, you know the guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anthony. I yeah. had to do that a little bit. They make you do this stuff. I quite liked it. It made me feel <laughs> rocky-ish. Yeah, I didn't mind it. The worst one he made me do was, I think it's called the bear, the bear crawl. Bear crawl. I think that's what it is, where you have to just run across the um, the gym studio on all fours and then run back again. Oh. And then he's sort of yelling at me, and I'm sort of you know thirty eight, and then eventually you just fall on yeah. your belly, and you've you've done really well. In, in my mind, I'd done really well. I'd gone backwards and forwards about three times. And you just sense this guy just shaking his head above you. Yeah. Because you haven't done what he needed you to do. You about, can't have a personal trainer. No, no, I had one. Burpees? You mustn't have one. Burpees, yeah. I mean, that is pure, pure sadness, isn't yeah. it? It's all pure sadness. I mean, the thing is, 
I think I must have put on so much weight doing that stuff because <laughs> you're so sad when you get home that you feel entitled to do basically whatever with your fridge. I sort of get, I basically unplug my oven and take it into the fridge and, and see you salute. <laughs> it's really true. <laughs> um, it's horrible in those places. Yeah, afterwards, the sadness and thinking, well, I mean, I've earned quite a lot of snack treats now, so oh, I'm going to claim yeah. them. If, if, if you're doing a... I can't even remember how long those sessions were. I mean, they felt like an eternity, but let's say it's 40 minutes. Yeah. Well, for me, <laughs> your, your starting point is at least three wagon wheels and a, maybe a burger. I mean, maybe maybe they're going in it. Maybe I'm just getting a lot of round food. Maybe just you're just getting of, two wagon wheels and a beef patty yeah, maybe in between. That's what's happening. Yeah. 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 That's nice. I saw a photograph of you, maybe a promotional photograph. You're in a suit. You're at a desk. You've got a pack of fig rolls on the go. Oh, yeah, I do, yeah. Yeah, I went and did a, um, a photo shoot um, where I really like this guy. I can't remember his name. Um, maybe he's called Johnny, mm-hmm. but he just took loads of photos and I took an enormous bag of clothes and did a, about eight photo shoots to then work out what the project might be when I get to that photo shoot. So that one, weirdly, I think will be my next my next show is going to be that, the fig roll stuff. Oh, really? I think I just had this nice um, vinyl of Hancock and he's wearing a hat and stuff and... Uh, I'm sort of, uh, I like, I like Hancock. Do you listen to Hancock? Not that much. Pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Well, absolutely. I think I was put off by people like Paul Merton just being so oh, yeah, excessively you can't, reverential. Yeah, you can't, yeah. I think it's nice to just like it rather than sort of shove it down people's throats as, as well. He's quite into it, wasn't he? I mean, you can like something without actually remaking it on, on TV. I feel as if there's a time in my life where I'm going to really, it's going to click. You know, Jeeves and Worcester, that's going to click for me. Oh. Hancock's going to click. Jeeves and Worcester hasn't clicked? Not yet, what, no. the, What, the, the, the books? Yeah. Oh, they'll click. Don't worry about that. Well, exactly, because people I really admire and like are always talking about these things that I so far have not clicked with. I wouldn't worry about that. They're clicking. Okay. They're clicking. But um, I, try, I've, I haven't really made um, Catch-22 click. Okay. But maybe that'll click if I give it another 10 years and then give it another go. Catch-22, Yossarian and all that lot. Yeah. Catch-22, is that where he's... Oh, no, I'm thinking of um, Slaughterhouse-Five. Yeah, that didn't click. Did that not click? I don't know why this stuff doesn't click, but, I mean, I guess I guess if, if everything clicked for everyone, then um, it'd be pretty frustrating. Catch-22 then... is Joseph Heller, and that, but that's a war thing, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm okay with, like, the sort of pub quiz side of it. I could answer questions like that. Yeah. I know it's by and things, and I can peek to the front. Yeah. <laughs> but it's more than that, isn't it, with a book, if you want to get under the skin of it. Slaughterhouse-Five's good because <laughs> it's so short. Kurt Vonnegut. Yeah. Do you have people on your books who, uh, have you got friends, maybe your wife, who can just... Blaze. Blaze. Yep. She's a blazer? She, uh, no, she, she is when she gets going, but she she works too hard. She doesn't leave her, herself enough time to sit down and just have a good old read. But I'll tell you who is a blazer now, having not read any books for the first 15 years of his life, is my son, my eldest. Blazer. Blazing. And he is, he's like Richard Iowadi, who, if you, if you ever see Richard Iowadi, he's always got like Dostoevsky or something. Oh, right. I've seen him. 
is that not a prop? No. Oh, that's, he's, he's just working that. his way through every kind of classic book from he's the doing that? 18th and 19th century. Oh, yeah. Have you ever done that? Have you ever clicked with a Dostoevsky? No, but my son has. And he's working his way through this kind of seemingly ridiculous list of books you must read before he's you die. He's through that. I don't know if he's actually going through a formal list, but that seems to be have the... You, have you touched that list? What no, the, what, Have you read uh, anything on that list? Well, you know, stuff at school, I suppose, I was made to read, Catcher yeah. in the Rye and things like that. That's a good book. Yeah. That was, that's what got me back into it as an adult, reading that one. Mm-hmm. That was like... That was a solid click. It's a fairly easy read. It's short. It's, it's not manageable. too long. No. Like a book, wait, a, a book of that size, that's nice when you're holding that. You're thinking, mm-hmm. I've got a chance here. <laughs> when, when you get a book that's that size, you're like, this could beat me. Yeah, exactly. When you're up to a thousand pages, forget about it. Um, yeah. Forget what, about it. What's the biggest one you've taken down? Haven't. What's the biggest one? Oh, man. I think I've taken down a couple of big animals. Like what? Grapes of Wrath. How big is that? Um, I don't think it's I don't think it's your thousand, mm. but I reckon you're probably staring down the barrel of 800, 700. That's massive. Brilliant book. Are there podcasts where two people like talk about books that they've both read? Because I think this is the opposite, isn't it? So far, we're, we're both ma- naming books and the other one hasn't read them. <laughs> yeah. Well, this... <laughs> And this is a deviation from two other deviations oh, as yeah, well. Oh, yeah, sure. Well, we were, you were talking about the image of me having a fig roll. Yeah. I was going to ask you about what other biscuits you like. And what, what are your go-tos if it's not a fig roll? Dark chocolate digestive. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How about the Choco Leibniz? Yeah. I, I, I mean, that's an area... <laughs> that's an area where you start going down that road and... <sighs> I don't. Think, I don't know how you come back. I mean, yeah. Well, you reckon you, once you're on the Leibniz, you're drinking scotch at nine a.m. And I'm thinking. Yeah, I actually do <coughs> think that. I think sometimes I I tap the Leibniz, and even as I'm leaving the supermarket, I'm thinking. I think my internal monologue is, I shouldn't have the Leibniz, <laughs> because the thing about the Leibniz is there's a couple of things going on when you crack open a Leibniz. If it's the same. If, there's obviously lots of different ones. The one I go for is a dark chocolate, you know, smeared over a kind of nice, simple biscuit. Yeah, yeah. But they're, they, they, I don't know what they're doing in there, whether they've got sub, government subsidies or something, but that, that's thick chocolate. Mm-hmm. And you can bite the chocolate off, you know, on the edge. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can more, almost have a mouthful without even before you even got to the biscuit. So the Leibniz, I'd say, is pretty. It's a pretty incendiary. It's a dangerous treat. Yeah. Choice. Look, check out this um, description, which is kind of poetic. Discover the Choco Leibniz milk. It's a crisp butter biscuit, squarely set into a milk chocolate tablet. Uh, yeah, I, I think that that is, you know, from from the point of view of you and I, we're both write and stuff like that we're both trying to talk about Leibniz mm-hmm. and then you read that that is a poem because I, I think that's just so beautifully put that is a Leibniz that's how you describe a Leibniz set in a in a chocolate tablet S- squarely set into a milk chocolate tablet squarely set yeah it's, it's beautiful and it continues it's a classic framed with 46 perfectly formed teeth yeah I, I, those are the little crenellations yeah. on the yeah. butter biscuit base. Do, does it, do, they, do they credit the author? 
no, they don't. I reckon that's someone moonlighting. I reckon that's a sort of Sebastian Folks or something. Uh huh. Or Salman Rushdie or that's something. Someone, someone, a big name has written that. Yeah. You, you, <laughs> you, can't, you can't kid uh, kid us. That some that's not just been written by someone in the office. <laughs> they farmed that out. They must have got some money in Leibniz. They farmed that out, and they've got a pro to write that. Yeah, uh, that's Bob Dylan. It's pretty good, isn't it? Uh, it's so good. This is a poem. Um, yeah, this is set in lockdown. I decided to spend some time in the hall bit in between the bathroom and the bedroom. It was not a bad area. I got some crisps and sat on a cushion. I plugged my phone into the plug socket. Yes, this area had everything. The paint around the socket was neatly done. A tradesman had clearly taken a pride in his or her work. Fucking wonderful. I checked my phone. Instagram. Twitter. The date. Battery, 63% and rising. I snaffled a frazzle. What a time to be alive. Last year, you had a book out written in the lockdown, and it was part one of your kind of lockdown memoirs. Is that fair to say? Well, I mean, it was never meant to be part one. It was right, meant okay. to be part, well, full, part yeah, full. Yeah, yeah. It's meant to be the book, the only book. But you never know with those lockdowns, do you? They sprung another one on you and you carried on writing. Yeah. Whoa. The first one was called He Used Thought as a Wife. Yeah. Fourth book? Uh, that was my fourth book, yeah. The new one, as we speak, out in a couple of months, although this will be going out after it has become available, oh. is called Here We Go Round the Mulberry Bush. And so broadly speaking, the difference between the two is what? So the first one... Locked down, started writing, and then realised that a book might emerge. And all the first book is based around me and my flat, and because we were locked down, if you remember. Mm-hmm. And I started. I remember having a conversation with my mum and dad, and it was stu- obviously like a lot of these conversations in lockdown. It was crazy. Everyone's just trying to get their head around it, and I think when I put the phone down, I just <laughs> sort of wrote it up. And I like writing, and and I, I knew I had other stuff to be getting on with, but I started just being very reactive to the stuff that was happening. So then I started writing conversations that I was having, and then making up conversations, and then writing poems about the mad stuff that was happening, because it was also sort of new and odd. Yeah. And uh, literally, they were doing things like closing pubs, and then <laughs> you, you had to be socially. You had to be distant from people by two metres. I remember. And it wasn't really like... I mean, I don't know how much people have come to terms with how bananas it was, because at the time you're just trying to get your head around it, and then as soon as you're unlocked, you just try and forget about it. Yeah. But it was loopy. Anyway... I mean, you're talking about it as if the whole situation has gone away, which of course it I hasn't. know, it's sort of... It sort of lingers, but but they'll never. That, that's why I think the first book is sort of more. Um, there's something additional about the first book mm-hmm. to the second book because the first book has this hit of everyone, literally in the world, suddenly being confronted 
with this really odd situation, this madness. Mm. And I'm not really talking about the pandemic so much as the lockdowns. Like, I don't really touch upon the pandemic, I don't think, too much in the book. Because obviously everyone has a different relationship to that. As in, either you're sort of not really touched by the pandemic, or you may have lost someone from Mm -hmm. the pandemic. But the lockdown was just something that, in the meantime, we all got on with. And, yeah, in the end, the book became a kind of... Once I was sort of up and running, I realised that all of it should then be set inside. And so the whole book is just um, 12 weeks of conversations set inside my flat. And me, the character of me in the book, Key, he's called Key, gradually, I think, losing his mind. Mm -hmm. And, you know, hallucinating a bit and uh, talking to himself a bit and talking to mice and just basically unravelling. And I think it was, like, I think what was happening is I was writing that and that was staving off me going mad in real life. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and when you say the character of Key, is that the, a similar proposition to the person you are on stage if you're doing stand-up yeah. and the person you are in Tim Key's late-night poetry programme? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know what exactly that entails, <laughs> but I think I sort of, I think what it means is I can really kind of um, have my cake and eat it. There's a lot of me in it, tons mm. of me. Like I'm talking to my parents and they're my, they're my parents. They're all versions of, my, of people in my life, I think. But yeah, the guy, the guy in the book has got the same job as me. The guy in the book is actually writing the book in the book. Mm. And the guy in the book lives in the flat that I live in and has the concerns that I have. But then also the guy in the book is able to kind of punch his, his hand through a wall and stuff and have these moments of kind of um, sort of cartoonish violence and things. Yeah. And he's able to be incredibly unreasonable or I can suddenly make him incredibly sympathetic. He's quite kind of um, a combustible, mad figure, I suppose. A version of me, but more... I think it would be... I think I wouldn't be able to write a book which was a book which was my experiences of the first lockdown by Tim Key. That would be kind of... A mad proposition. And then, so what about the next book? So basically, that's the first book. Yeah. And that's all set inside. And then the second thing, the second lockdown, we released the book last December and that was that done. Then that second lockdown came and it was a different um, different set of emotions, much more to do with... So not last December, but December 2020, yeah, was it? The, uh, the... December, so that that book... Yeah, that book came out in December 2020. Right. We, we, we made it pretty quickly. Yeah. And then in January 2021, the next lockdown started. Lockdown three. Lockdown three. Yeah. And then that was more of a case of, there's a large chunk of, are you kidding me? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's happening again. Because it wasn't like lockdown one, looking back on that, that was the good old days. Lockdown one was kind of epic. Yeah. And kind of historical. And there were things to be taken from it. I mean, because it was interesting and everyone was getting used to... It was a sort of a shared experience thing. Also, a slight element of maybe everyone or lots of people did need a slight pause for a moment, Uh which you would never have had in your life. But lockdown three, no one wanted to go back into a lockdown. Anyway, I started writing poems again and then... Same as with the first book, I just had one idea for a for a conversation, yeah. And then I thought, yeah, okay, if it's going to be three months, then I'm going to 
write another book. And so that one, because in the second, in the third lockdown, you're able to walk around more. Yes. That one is all based outside. So the first one is really claustrophobic. Great. And the third one, I never go into my flat. Now, would you like to read, or can I ask you to read uh, I can a re- thing? I can read a poem, yeah. Yeah, from, do that. Yeah. So this is the poem from uh, the first book. Harry Kane stood on the training pitch. Coach explained again. Football's cancelled, Harry. For now. Harry was gaping hard. He pointed to the football again. Football. I know, Harry. Coach showed him some headlines on his iPhone. Harry blinked. He pointed at the football again. He pointed at his shin pads. He pointed to the sky. Coach put an arm around him. They wandered back up to the hut. Um, well, I mean, it's quite sad. I think I watched... Um, did you watch the Tottenham Hotspur documentary? No. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, that is the mad thing about the lockdown, when you sort of take a moment to consider that everyone did it. There's <laughs> some mad people doing that lockdown. And then this documentary, they find out. And people tell them that there's going to be the lockdown. They're explaining what's going to happen. And then you, you get this mad conversation where Harry Kane is just on the, at, the lun- at lunch. And they're just four footballers from across the globe. And he's just sort of explaining that they're gonna, there's going to be a lockdown. But it's mad. Like, it's the same conversations that we had in real, you know, not, not in a football ground, where I remember my friend John explaining to me i mean i'm like i'm I'm reverting to being a five-year-old because i don't know what a lockdown is and i'm sort of vaguely watching the news but that hasn't they haven't told us about lockdown yet and he says i've heard they're gonna they're gonna close the pubs and it's not possible to get your head around that because they've never closed the pubs they've never closed the shops and closed the streets and told people you can't leave your house so when you first hear it it's a mad mad thing to hear and I'm like saying, what do you mean they're going to close the pubs? They're closing them. They reckon they'll close them for a month. <laughs> Everyone in their houses. I'm like, are you, are you joking? <laughs> it's such a stupid concept. <laughs> and it only really makes sense when you get it from every angle and it's on the, pay, it's in, it's on the BBC News site and you go, oh, okay. Yeah, this and is then, real. And then there's some links to things that says, what does this actually mean? You're like, okay. And then you have, like, the Prime Minister sort of going, right then, lads, we're going to have a lockdown. And you're like, oh, okay. But that first, the first time you hear it is just insane. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. It's gobbledygook. And then you have a character in there called Bonson. Yeah. Um... And he has a sidekick called Mogeth. Yeah. And was that the first time you'd written about Bonson? No. The first time I wrote about him was, and I'm a very not a very political person, mm. the first poem I ever wrote about though, that lot was, do you remember when um, Reese Mogg lounged yeah. on the bench? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is on the, in the bench in the House of Commons. Yeah, and I don't think I'm very good at like expressing myself in a sort of political way, but there was something where you're just watching that and you're thinking, this can't be right. Yeah, yeah. Th- this, this guy has just got an absolute um, 
contempt. Yes, it was. <laughs> he became the poster boy, and it was in itself an image that could be a poster that just defined the concept of contempt, particularly kind of class yeah. contempt. And I think I wrote a poem about it. I can't remember what it was, but I think in my poem it was a bit, it was a bit longer along the bench and started to sort of drip down and going, it was going through the tiles a bit, I think. And even if, like, even if he himself in his mind was not being contemptuous, the fact that someone intelligent would not immediately know that that image would project contempt to everyone who saw it. Yeah, I agree. It feels like he's an intelligent person, so he knows what emotion that's going to cause amongst mm. people. So it's actually kind of quite a confrontational thing to yeah, do. It's really kind weird. of it's kind of a goad to the people, sort of saying, "Well, what do you want to say about the fact that I'm uh, lounging on this bench?" Mm. It's it's of a piece with the. Um... Drinks parties. Yeah, there's drinks parties. Can you read a Bonston poem? What I can do is read a poem about the parties. Oh, yeah, OK. Because I wrote this one yesterday. Hmm. So this is, you know, sort of a party poem, I suppose. <clears throat> Bonston waddled out into the garden. The sun was hot, hot, hot. Its rays bounced off the side of the house that he rented and burned into his scruffy, urine-coloured hair. He put his fists on his thick hips and surveyed the proceedings. He liked what he saw, put it that way. Staffers unwinding, that's the headline news. Caps flying off beer d'Alsace. Senior politicians wrestling, policymakers unfolding twister, finding a flat bit of lawn to peg it down. Bonson smiled, his tennis shorts bulging with pride. Mogith handed him a couple of Swedish meatball wraps and ladled some punch down his throat. Oh, Mogith, you see the vibe? There was a government-affiliated DJ playing chilled Tory beats, and Bonson's trotters started jiggling on the turf. He checked his watch. Well, that's me, I reckon. Mogith almost choked on his balmers. You ain't fucking off already, are you? Bonson winked and did a under-the-thumb gesture. He smashed a tin opener against a bottle of Bollinger. Right, I'm off, you horrible lot. They booed. Some had their tops off, some had coke down their chests. Don't do anything I wouldn't do, chaps. Narrow it down, boss. The laughter grew and grew. It swept Bonson back through his French windows. It rose over the walls and drifted like poison across the city. The two other things that I would like to talk about... Talk chunks. Oh, yeah, talk chunks. Talk chunk one, leg cancer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Talk chunk two, New York trip. Yeah, sure, yeah. Okay. Are you ready for a tonal swerve? Uh, I, I mean, I'm born ready for tonal swerves. All right, then. I'll come with you. Leg cancer. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When was it? Um, I reckon that was 2000 and... 2018, I think. Yeah, because I went to see you in Norwich at the Playhouse. Yeah. And then afterwards you came back to mine. Yeah. And we sat up uh, having some amaretto, I think. Yeah, it would have been. Um, With ice, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, there was blocks of something in there. (laughs) It was ice. Oh, cool. (laughs) And you told me this story about 
this lesion on your leg that someone had spotted at a gig when you were wearing shorts. It was a really, really fresh story. Yeah. Because I went to a... um, I did a gig um, and a doctor got in touch with our agent, to be fair, Mm -hmm. Jiggy, and said, um, love the show last night, but I would recommend that Tim gets his leg checked out. And I had a, uh, a birthmark on, on my leg. And I'd always, you'd always had? I'd always had it. Anyway, I went and got it checked out. And uh, the doctor was like, yeah, we need to refer you to a specialist. She referred me to a specialist. And the specialist said, yeah, I, I need to cut that out today. And then... Uh, I said, <laughs> I said to the doctor, well, I mean, can we do it on Monday? Because um, I need to go to Norwich. And um, he said, yeah. Oh, well, the other thing he did was invited lots of people into the room. Um, I think it was sort of quite interesting. Um, Cancer students. I mean, everyone. I think there was like the person who worked in Smith's. Uh, just anyone. <laughs> Check this out. <laughs> This guy's been walking around with this on his leg. <laughs> Were you... At what What was your mental state at this point? Are you very sad or just sort of thinking, was, oh, it's under control? I was rattled. Yeah, yeah. So I remember phone, I remember like thinking, well, if, Norwich was the last date of the tour. Yeah. And I thought, well, um, I'll finish the tour then and then I suppose it's... Um, off it comes. Uh-huh. But... That's why when I went, when I got to Norwich, I was glad you were there because um, could do the show. And then I don't know whether I told you before. I don't think I had, but I thought, well, that's good because we'll we'll go and have a drink and I'll explain what's happened. Yeah, uh, I think otherwise it it would have been like quite. I don't know. I think it would have been quite difficult. Anyway, on the Monday I got it removed, and it's sort of okay. You know, they just kind of whip it out. And I walked home. What are they doing? Are they sort of shaving off a few layers or when they whip it, when yeah, you say whip quite, it out? Well, what, what it's like when you go to the dentist. They, they didn't give me a general anaesthetic. I've, it's the first time I've had that, I think, where you have a local anaesthetic to mm. do something where there's an actual sort of knife. It's a bit mm-hmm. weird. So they just cut it out. I, I'm not really a sort of looker in those situations, so I don't know what they did. But I'm kind of interested in yeah, crater I know you're inter- size. Yeah, I know you're interested and that's cool, but crater, like I didn't crater. look. Yeah, I didn't look. So I don't know, do I? You didn't even take a peek? I didn't look. <laughs> so then I go and do latitude in my little shorts. I remember that. So then I went back and then they said they needed to do another further excision, I think. Mm-hmm. Had you had a conversation, though, with anyone like about worst case scenarios and what you were... No, I don't think so. But they, they I mean, I knew they were looking to see whether it was a... Um, uh, you know, melanoma, like a, if it was a sort of... A spreading thing or just a thing that yeah. could be removed and yeah. left alone. So then I went in with, they they said I should go in with a pal. Mm. So I went in with Alex Horn from... Uh, why why do you need to go in with a pal? That doesn't because, bode well, does it? For yeah. emotional or physical support or both? Well, I think it's because they're going to tell me I've got cancer. Okay. So I went in with Alex. He's perfect for that because he, like, you know, he's got a good sense of humour and stuff, and he can sort of, you know, make things a bit lighter. Mm. 
So the guy said, yeah, we've, we've, we've had a look at it, and it is, um, what's the two words, malignant and benign? Malignant. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, that was an interesting, it's an interesting thing to hear. Because you do sort of just start... I mean, obviously there's a little element of... You're thinking, well, my life is going to be kind of disrupted. Mm-hmm. You're thinking, well, I hope I'm not in danger... Also, you're thinking, ah, oh, this is, like, not a nice phone call to your parents to sort of go, I'm fine, but this is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, all fine. And I think I was kind of all so all kind of under control and, you know, talked about it with, with, with everyone. And I, was so, I think I was kind of on an even keel. Mm-hmm. But then I did go to Edinburgh after that, and I think I was, like... I think I was slightly rattled. And then it was when I came back from Edinburgh that they actually did the the second incision, actually, um, to make sure they'd removed everything. And that was a general anaesthetic. Then they did... I had to have, like, a course of, uh, of medication. Mm-hmm. And um, that took a little bit of time to work out because there was two options. And that was the bit that, was, that fried my head the most. And then I started a course of oral chemotherapy and that lasted a year and that was kind of it was kind of okay you know I just had to take all these pills and things and you weren't too badly affected by them I don't know there's definitely bits where you're kind of you know up and down Mm -hmm. there was moments I think where you're you're in conversations and you're sort of feeling like a little bit behind okay and welcome um, to my life well I think it was actually welcome to my already life as well so maybe I was about the same amount behind Right, but there's definitely bits where you think, I'm not sure whether these pills are doing anything in my life. Yes, you know, because they had like side effects, and they were very keen to point out there's lots of these side effects. But I mean, some of these side effects were like um, quite big side effects, like you know, bleeding out of your ears and things. And I never had any of those. I just had a little bit of you know uh, tiredness and a little bit of if once I had a fever, and then you have to go to a&E and they sort of put you on a drip and but I, I do think all of that stuff was fine I, th- I feel like it's interesting being ill it's sort of once you once you get into it um well, I mean a I felt very fortunate in the grand scheme of things because obviously it's kind of quite a broad church cancer and I felt like uh there was not really much to complain about because mine looked very survivable and uh, I used to have to go to this hospital Mount Vernon Hospital in near Rickmansworth every month and they would check me up and uh, they'd give me more pills and uh, in, a w- in a weird kind of way I sort of quite liked it mm-hmm. that day because you just feel like you're in the right place like Life is so chaotic and you always never know whether you're doing the right thing or you're making the right choices or doing the right project or, you know, should I be making this thing or should I be maybe doing more of this stuff? But it is quite good where once a month you think, well, I definitely know I should be in this waiting room and I definitely know that these people are the right people to be working with on this. (laughs) And so I just would meet these people have this little conversation, then go, yeah, it's all looking good. And then 
I'd have to have like a MRI scan and a CT scan mm-hmm. every couple of months. And um, yeah, after a year, finished my last pill, had my last MRI and CT scan, and they said, you're, you're good. Two fig rolls that day. Actually, that's not the half of it. Every hospital day was like, um, absolutely, the, the brakes are off. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no work, for sure. And then I'd get to the, the train station in Buckinghamshire and I'd go to the Waitrose and I'd always get a Swiss bun, you know that? Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, if you want to really enjoy a Swiss bun, have a, have a melanoma. <laughs> I think that's their new marketing slogan. <laughs> yeah, that's how I got into it. Well, I'm so glad that you are cancer-free. Yeah, I went just before Christmas and uh, had a bit of an MRI and a CT. Yeah. And they said, yeah, you're good now for a year. Okay. So yeah. it is a thing you, I mean, there on, after a certain age, it makes sense to check anyway whether you've had it before or not but i guess once you have had it yeah you've got to keep on well what they do is i think they go well we'll do an mri and a ct every three months then it's every six months yeah and uh now it's a year okay yeah they're pretty good the um the doctor heather shaw she calls me boss oh nice yeah yeah that stuff helps yeah i mean it doesn't sort of make it worth it if that's what you're asking (laughs) But it t- it takes the shine off it slightly, or to adds the shine onto it. I like being called boss. Too. Yeah, it's so nice being called yeah. boss or chief. Yeah, yeah. I think she's called me chief. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really good. <laughs> I'd hate to sit in on her talking to someone else and find out that she's doing that to other people. <laughs> but I don't think it is. I think she's she's rewarding me. I can't imagine anyone more boss like. The pub sort of reopened a bit. This is the um, Scotch egg sort of vibes, mm-hmm. you know, when you had to have a Scotch egg. Eat out to help out. Eat out to help out. Yeah, yeah, it was. The pub sort of reopened a bit. I ordered a lasagna and six pints and told the guy to leave me the fuck alone. Sometimes he'd come over and ask me to start eating my dinner. I'd just tell him to go fuck himself and bring me another Amstel. The manager came over. She made aeroplane noises as she fed me. Now, before we even knew about the pandemic, is that right? Or had there been whispers about a new virus in China? Yeah, but that didn't matter because that was just a news story. It was just a weird news story, wasn't it? There's been news stories before, you know, where you're told, well, there's going to be a war or an asteroid. Forget about it. Forget about it. Who cares? I'm talking about January 2020. We were able to make a move. Yeah, we made a move. A lunge to New York. Yeah. In order to... And and I talked to Alex Horn about this when he was on the podcast, and I'm imagining this episode with you as a a kind of companion piece. Oh, is it really? So, maybe, I don't know. Well, okay. I I like uh, Alex. I think there's a lot to be said for, you know, him as a sort of idea. Yeah. Yeah. He's great, isn't he? He's great. How long have you known each other? Um, I met him in 2001. So 20 years. Okay, not that long. I sort of had you pegged as childhood friends or something. Halfway friends. Okay. Yeah. But now you are... Thick as thieves. Thick as thieves. I'm his son's godfather. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we've established that 
you and Alex don't really want to describe exactly what the project was that we were going to New York for, because it's something that may unfold over a course of That's very good, yeah. years or even decades. Even decades, yeah. Very good, yeah. You asked me if I would come along and help film and document yeah. the, the whole process, and uh, I, you know... You leapt at the chance. Yeah, man. Because a lot of people weren't into it. <laughs> <laughs> so off we go, and we're on a trip to New York. Yeah. It was great. You guys were dressed as the Blues Brothers yeah. in the restaurant in the airport when I turned up. You took a look at me, and you looked over at Alex and said, See, I told you, fleece. <laughs> but you wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> anyway, um, so I was excited to go off and meet you guys and go on a little trip. We were only there for three days or something. It wasn't long, yeah. Three or four days. Did we have a drink on the plane? Did we? Don't know. I don't think so. Well, it was in the daytime, wasn't it? Daytime yeah. flight, early morning. Maybe not. It was a morning flight. And then it was nice going to our Airbnb. Yeah, so tell us, who found the Airbnb? Was that you or I Alex? I found the Airbnb. You did? Yeah. Ah, that was, was a great find. It was a reformed um, bookshop in, where was it? Like Harlem. I'll tell you exactly where it was. Um, West 160th Street, Sugar Hill, up in, let's see. I reckon it's Harlem. It's bordering on Harlem. We were looking over onto a historic building, the Morris Jumel Mansion, Manhattan's oldest house, headquarters for both sides in the American Revolution. Oh. And we were looking out onto that from this cool basement flat with bookshelves filled with classics of African-American literature and history. And a, uh, a an amazing collection of 50s and 60s jazz and blues yeah. and a record player. And you cook breakfast. Yes. I think I woke up before anyone on the first morning, jet lag, you know, woke up at when it was still dark at about four or five. And I walked until the sun came up, clear skies, very bright, and bought some bagels and some eggs. Yeah. We had scrambled eggs and listened to some ah, jazz. Beautiful. Oh, I'll always remember it. This time of year? Yeah. Literally two years ago now. That's right. We went to the strange food shop. What was that? Sea Town Supermarket in Washington Heights. What were we trying to get? Well, we were just getting supplies. Yeah. So breakfast we were fine because it was just scrambled eggs and bagels. Yeah. You can't screw those up. No. But then one night when you and Alex were out having dinner with a mate of yours and I cried off because I was feeling too knackered I went and picked up some food at uh, the supermarket this is a side of you I didn't know what you cooked for yourself well no I got I got a pack of ready-made sushi of pre-prepared sushi and then I also just to back myself up in case it wasn't good I got a a sort of bean pot (laughs) you know like a salad bean pot thing yeah Got back to the house. How do you remember this? I wrote it down. You didn't? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I keep a journal. Do you really? So I went and read the journal back before I talked to you today. That's insane. So I, Otherwise, of course, I wouldn't remember it. Hang on a minute. Why do you keep the journal? Same reason as anyone keeps a journal. Okay, okay, okay. Carry on. And Why I is got... keeping a journal? <laughs> is, it to, is it to write, like, is it you going to publish it? 
Uh, no, I think this is a big question. Why does anyone keep a journal? No, I don't imagine it being published. I imagine it being just a way of ensuring that I write something most yeah. days. Keep my hand in. And when you write the journal, do you write it creatively? Are you writing it with a, like a little, is it idiosyncratic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to write it as yeah. if it were, you know, because maybe some of it might be useful for other things. Yeah, totally. So I might go in and raid it and think, oh, yeah, I could turn that into something. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like a, it's like a notebook, I suppose. Well, I'm, I'm envious that you do. How long have I'm you done it I'm surprised you don't. No, I've, I've done it a couple of times. But you're... A couple of phases. Right. Yeah. But you're always writing anyway, so that's uh, so, Yeah, I try of, to write most days, yeah. That's a kind of journalistic yeah. process in itself, I suppose. That's really good, though. I'm glad you do that. It do, is do, good. Do you do it every day? Uh, I do when I, I... I try to, yeah, yeah. Where is it? On your laptop? On the laptop. So if I could... Can I give you a date and you just read it out? In the last three years, you could give me a date. Okay, I want to give you... Um, what are we on? The, the Well, why don't we do January... Uh, it's a question of whether we want it to be in the lockdown, isn't it? Um, okay, why don't, why don't we do um, June the 1st, 2020? June the 1st, oh, you see, that, that's a month after my ma died. So, uh, might be a bummer. Uh, Plus, uh, obviously I'm going to have to kind of censor this on the course. fly. Well, may, okay. Hang on, you're going June the 1st, let's try it. Let's try it. June the 1st. All right. Uh, Wake feeling bad. I feel okay in the first few minutes of being awake. Mm. But then memories of that last night with mum start to replay. How about we go that. for another day? <laughs> <laughs> How did uh, going on the podcast promoting your book go? Uh, no, I made the guy cry. Why? June, June, June the 1st. And you know it doesn't take much to make me <laughs> to make me cry on a podcast. Okay, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. October, October the eighth. You're going later that year. Oh no, no, no. Let's go before then. Okay. How about October the eighth, twenty nineteen? Because that's pre. That's the good old days. Yeah. Okay. Let's... October, or is it? Let's find out. October the eighth. Did you say? Yeah. Well, yeah. October the eighth. Train from Norwich to London. Oh, much better. 1.30pm, Sing 2, voiceover session 3. Good to see Garth, who is the director. His nice producer man, Greg, and the nice Irish fellow, Engineer, also met Garth's French PA. Garth has a PA! Exclamation mark. He tells me that he spent the previous day with Bono, showing him bits and pieces from the film and asking for permission to use Where the Streets Have No Name and Stuck in a Moment with You. Bono said yes. My VO session is fine. Though a few stumbles near the beginning, with me tripping up on some not-at-all-difficult words, deepen my current concern that my mind is going. Garth is happy, though, and reiterates how pleased everyone is with my crazy dance instructor character, Klaus, and how his part is continuing to expand... Fingers crossed that isn't an indication that the whole film is in terrible trouble. This is good. That was a good, that was a good extract. Everyone yeah. seems to sort of, you know, everyone's alive and sort of, you know. No pandemic. Uh, <laughs> Mum's still alive. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. I wish I'd got that up my sleeve. I can sort of imagine it. Do you read diaries? 
published diaries. Yeah, published. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yeah, David Sedaris published his uh, second volume of diaries last year, and yeah. that was very entertaining. And uh, Brian Eno did a diary for just a year called A Year with Swollen Appendices from 1995. That's very interesting. And That um, appeals to me to yeah. write a diary for a year. That's re- it's a good exercise. Yeah. And that's what Louis did with his lockdown book. Right. He, I think it was just 12 months from the beginning of the first lockdown. Yeah. It's a good exercise because then you can be really forensic and and feel as if it's not just a total waste of time. Yeah, to spend. that's really good. Yeah, and Michael Palin. Obviously, I read his. Yeah, I just bought those. He's got several thought. volumes. The the uh, the best one for me was I think maybe the Hollywood Years. Oh fact, yeah, okay. I really liked because I think oh, I, that's that's the book I've got. The Python Years is is great, fascinating. Obviously, especially if you're a Python fan, but the Hollywood Years is good because he did a lot of other strange projects, some of which didn't quite come together. Yeah, and I find that comforting oh, oh, when really? someone when someone as talented and accomplished as him, yeah, describes projects that just fizzled or were painful and took ages, and then no one liked when that they emerged. Stuff. And yeah, I, that kills me. That stuff. Yeah, yeah, of course. Have you, have you got any of those, <laughs> mate? <laughs> You know, I heard this podcast. <laughs> uh, so anyway, oh yeah, I was going to say though about my sushi and my bean pot. Yeah, I feel as if I need to tie up that. Yeah, of course you do. That thread. Yeah, the sushi was hard, right, and cold, right, inedible. This is why I avoid that stuff. I took a mouthful of it, and it was one of the few times in my life that I decided i'm not even going to swallow this and i just went over to the bin opened that's, my mouth and that's not the adam buxton i know oh, let sorry. the food plop out spat it out didn't even spit just let it fall out of my mouth now why didn't you spit it out i guess was it was it just for the trajectory yeah i didn't need to spit it out i just went and yeah leaned over the bin opened my mouth just let it ugh, fall out of my mouth this disgusting cold weird plasticky sushi yeah so then i think Lucky I got the bean pot. If there's any justice in this world, the the backup bean pot works out. So get the lid off. Yeah. Dig in with the with the spoon. Take a big old mouthful of beans okay. in sort of sauce liquid. Yep, sauce liquid. Yeah. So far, so good. It's fizzy. Pardon me. It's fizzy. Sparkling. Sparkling bean pot. And for a moment, I'm thinking. Nice it... idea, chaps. Yeah, I'm sort of thinking, is it supposed to be fizzy? Is it spicy? Fizzy. Is it like just a kind of crazy bean pot? I, cause I don't what does normally... fizzy mean then? Is fizzy off? Fizzy is, it started to ferment? I think that's what it was. When they talk about the great food cities, New York is up there. So you've been unlucky or you've, you've mismanaged New York here. Because we were only there a few days. And I do remember, without keeping a diary, we went out to a restaurant... The three of us, yeah, the night before, and I don't think it set the world alight, did it? No, it didn't. We didn't have any amazingly memorable food while we were there, except for breakfasts. Breakfasts were the highlight. Breakfasts, breakfasts were fantastic. Yeah, I'm happy with breakfasts. Breakfasts. I'm going to talk to Alex about this. Did he seem positive about the trip when you interviewed him? Yeah, big style. He's a positive guy. Yeah, that guy's insane. 
the best. He bit. doesn't overthink things. That's the thing with him. Oh man, yeah. I just envy that so oh, much. But really you don't good. seem like a massive overthinker. Oh, more than him though. I mean, there's very little going on with Alex. Right. <laughs> it's empty. <laughs> Honestly, you just see him. He's like a sort of you know a character from a computer game. He just sort of waddles around, and sort of <laughs> eats, dances, whatever. Earn money, earn money, <laughs> relax. Think of game for Taskmaster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not saying he's a robot. I'm just saying there's very little. Yeah, there. he's a joy bot. And he can't believe it. Like, he looks at other people and goes, why on earth are they unhappy? He cannot get his head around anything. He, has, he has a great time, you know. Yeah. He'll go out and sort of, you know, take the air, come back in, you know, play with his kids. Another game for Taskmaster. You know, it's not it's not um, rocket science, his life. What an incredible gift to be born with. He's got a very good demeanour and a very good um, outlook on life, I think. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's very bright. Where are you off to now? So I'll cycle home and then... Um, what's four? Yeah, I'll walk back in. I'm going to walk to Kennington. I'm going to play football. Football? The most knackering of all the sports. It depends on your style of play. Right, OK. You have to look at people's style of play. I'm a very languid footballer. OK. Yeah. I imagine you're a very busy footballer. I mean, I played football seven times, I think. <laughs> you never got up to ten. No. And he... it was absolutely exhausting each time I did it. And it was only since I had children that I ever played football. You've played football seven times. Yeah, yeah. You have a sport that you do play? Badminton? Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I know which shot I'm doing to defeat you. <laughs> what, down very fast? No, up very slow. <laughs> I'd be a bit worried about the down very fast, because that's sort of where you're dwelling, isn't it? <laughs> I think you're, you're gaslighting me a bit there. You're, you're trying to make me do it down fast. When is the court booked for? <laughs> This is a poem about love in lockdown Two lovers Exiled from one another They started doing the same things at all times He would post her a bagel for breakfast And they would eat Together For lunch they would cook linguinis Slinging them into their pans at 12.45 on the dot They'd run at five And stop in front of their respective oak trees And in the evenings, they'd start their movie at the exact same time and watch it with the exact same red wine in the exact same glasses. And it was beautiful. At night, they screwed their respective flatmates and all four had a WhatsApp group and it was an absolute disgrace. This is a Squarespace advert. Do you want to build a website? Yes. I will tell you how. Visit squarespace.com slash Buxton now. Start a free trial today and in minutes you will say My website dreams are finally coming true. Just tell Squarespace what you want to do. They'll suggest some templates that might be right for you. Dragon pictures and text add some videos and next thing you know your website will be done. Visit squarespace.com slash Buxton today. Start your free trial and have yourself a play. And when you have decided that you're ready to pay, type in the offer code Buxton. 
Why? Because you'll save 10% if it's your first purchase of a website or domain. Oh, 10%! That's my favourite percent! Thank you, Squarespace! Continue. I took off my mask. No mouth. I put my mask back on. I was gutted. The old mouth gone. Hey, welcome back, podcats. That was Tim Key. Little bonus poem for you there. All those poems can be found, I think, I'm right in saying, in Tim's books. He used thought as a wife, and here we go around the mulberry bush. Links to both of those in the description of the podcast. I guess the Boris Johnson party one wouldn't be in there because Tim had just written it when he read that. Anyway... Lots of Tim-related links in the description. What have we got? Links to the books. Links to Tim's show at the Regent's Park Open Air Theatre. Link to a review of that show, Mulberry, when it was at the Soho Theatre. Guardian Review by Rachel Healy. And link to Tim Key's late-night poetry programme on BBC Sounds. Also... In the description, a link to a documentary I watched with my wife last night, in fact, referring to my notes now. If you're not already familiar with the story, Alexei Navalny is the Russian leader of the opposition to Vladimir Putin. And in August of 2020, he was poisoned while on a flight from Siberia to Moscow, apparently with the nerve agent Novichok, everyone's least favourite chok. Even worse than Bounty, apparently. Sorry, poor taste. Coconut. Yuck. The documentary focuses on the poisoning and the subsequent efforts by Navalny and some sympathetic data investigators and journalists to establish whether, as they suspected, the poisoning had been an assassination attempt by the Russian intelligence services, or FSB, acting on orders from Putin. Not spoiler, because what they found was made public in late 2020, but it turns out that Navalny had indeed been poisoned by FSB agents. And the scene in the documentary in which Navalny cold calls one of the scientists involved after his journalist friends have found the number, and he pretends to be one of the bosses of this agent and asks him to confirm how the poisoning was carried out and why it failed, is extraordinary. It's an amazing scene that I think will probably go down as, you know, one of the great documentary scenes of all time. It's like watching a sort of particularly successful phone prank on YouTube, albeit with higher stakes. But it's so outrageously successful as far as getting information goes that it's sort of funny. You can't really believe it's happening. But at the same time, what they're talking about and who authorised it and, and what it says about the Russian government is very weird and shocking, assuming it's real, of course, and we have every reason to believe that it is. I don't imagine things have gone well for the FSB scientist involved in the call since then. Not that they've gone that much better for Alexei Navalny, who is, 
currently still serving a two and a half year sentence at a prison camp east of Moscow for parole violations related to charges he says were fabricated to thwart his political ambitions. And in fact, he was recently sentenced just in the last few days to a further nine years in a maximum security penal colony after being found guilty of large-scale fraud and contempt by a Russian court. Navalny denies the fraud charges, possibly not his contempt for the court. Fly past from the hairy bullet. Anyway, there is a link to that documentary, Navalny, on the BBC iPlayer in the description of this podcast. Okay, I've got to get back now. I've got to prepare for a bug show this Friday at the BFI South Bank. I think there might even still be tickets if you want to come along. Uh, The show gets repeated next week as I speak, Thursday and Friday. What are those dates? Thursday, well, this week it's Friday 29th, 8.45 at the BFI South Bank, Bug 62. Next week it is Thursday 5th of May and Friday 6th of May. Shows are at 8.45pm on all those nights. I'll be showing some great music videos and um, doing my stupid crap. Thank you very much indeed to Seamus Murphy Mitchell for his work on this episode. Thanks to my son, Nat. He provided the piano pieces that you heard under Tim's poems, all improvised. The artwork for this podcast was created by the brilliant Helen Green. Thanks very much to everybody at Acast for all their hard work keeping this uh, podcast going and bringing in sponsors, etc. Much appreciated. But most of all, thanks to you, Podcats, for continuing to listen. I really appreciate it. So much, in fact, that I'm going to lean in and um, hug you. I'm going to give you a hug because I'm a big believer in hugging if it's appropriate and uh, consensual. So if you don't want a hug, then you better switch off because here it comes. All right, mate. Yeah. There it is. It's over now. All right, Rosie. Do you want to say goodbye to the podcats? Beautiful pants, Rosie. How dare you. Take care. I love you. Bye!
John started socially distancing by wearing stilts. He was slow and ponderous and couldn't get into any of the shops or his flat, but unless he bumped into some other cunt on stilts, he was as safe as houses up there. 